without you I fall apart You're the one that guides my heart Lord, I need you Oh, I need you Every hour I need you My My righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where your grace is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense my righteousness oh God how I need you so teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness oh God how I need you you are my one defense my righteousness oh God how I need you you are my one defense my righteousness oh god how i need you you gotta find yourself singing that one all through the week that's that's a prayer to god i love that song wonderful wonderful song ecclesiastes chapter one yeah, to start tonight, Lessons in Ecclesiastes. This series could go for quite a while. Um, it just depends on how quickly you listen. Alright, so Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Tonight we're going to do our best to cover the first 11 verses. Anybody need notes out there? few people do. few people need notes. If we could hook them up. 
I saw a hand over here and back there. And right, oh, right here. There he is. Anybody else? Ecclesiastes 1. Need one over here? Let's read. Verse number 1. The words of the preacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, it turneth about unto the north, it whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Under the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. As I will start with the opening words, Vanity of vanities, as we get into lesson. Let's pray. Father, bless us now during this time, and I pray that our hearts would be focused on the Word of God for these minutes, that we might gain some things that would be beneficial in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here he opens with this uh, heartwarming great news. All is vanity. Everything that you do is empty and meaningless. And what good news to start here in the new year and here in this book of the Bible and we'll go ahead and lay it out in your notes and, and work our way through the passage. So the first thing we see is this. If this world in its present state is all that there is, it's not worth living for. And uh, this is the whole point of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Solomon, we believe, wrote this book toward the end of his life. After he had experienced everything that there was to experience in humanity. And he comes in with this opening statement that says it's just foolish pride. It's just empty as it can be. Anything without God. Now, we're going to get to the end of the book, and we're going to find a much different story than we see here at the beginning of the book. But right off the bat, we have this opening statement. And verse 3, I think, has this question for all of us. What profit hath a man... Of all his labor which he taketh under the sun. I don't know if you've ever been uh, to the ocean. Is there anybody in here who's never been to an ocean before? There's always usually one or two. Everybody here has been to an ocean. That's amazing. Pretty, pretty neat. I don't think I've ever been in a crowd where that is the case. Now, is it, have you still not ridden a roller coaster, Wanda? No, not since last year? All right, is there anybody else in here who hasn't ridden a, ridden a roller coaster? 
All right, we've got a few of those still. Okay, Tamara, Tilf, never ridden a roller coaster? Wow, okay. I get that one. But everybody's been to the ocean. Now, you, you go down to the ocean, and yet when you go down there, you always see the kids, um, and they're down there, and they get about, you know, 20 feet from the water, and they decide it's a perfect place to build a sandcastle. You ever see this? And boy, they dig in and they start doing it. Maybe they have a bucket or maybe they have a shovel or just using their hands. And my kids are always so smart about this. And I'll look over every once in a while because, you know, you've always got to be the dad. And I'll tell them, yeah, you gotta, your castle's got about five more minutes to live. And they just keep going. They don't care. And then you get one way that kind of gets up on the castle just a little bit. And then a few minutes later, there goes the castle, right? Now, that is a picture of life under the sun. That's exactly what verse 3 is describing. What profit is it for you to build a castle in the sand that's going to get wiped out? And it's so abrupt and it's so hard because at this time of year, these last couple of weeks, many people sit down and they write out these things called plans, right? Like, I plan to do this, and we plan to do that. And uh, I would always caution people to read, read James chapter 4 while you're making plans, where it says, if the Lord will, we'll do this or that. Um, but we make these plans, well, we're going to do this by the time we're this age, we need to buy this, we need to build this, we need to go there. And verse 3 is still true. Even while we do that. It's kind of like that kid down at the beach. You tell him, hey, you're doing your castle in a bad place. It's going to get wiped out. And they just keep digging. Right? You know, sometimes they even dig while the wave's hitting them. And it wipes it out. And it, it takes you back to the story that Jesus told of the wise man and the foolish man. Um, and everybody knows the story about how the wise man built his house on the rock and it withstood the storm and there was something still there. And uh, for those of us who know the Lord and for those of us who invest in eternity, when we perish from this earth, there's something still there. There is a legacy, there's a testimony, there are rewards, there's something that's been invested that's going to last through the fire. We see verse number 3 at the end of it. Which he taketh under the sun. And the sun's going to come into play a whole lot here in the book of Ecclesiastes. The second thing we say in your notes. All of the wealth and pleasures of this earth are not enough to make a person happy. Now Solomon's going to prove this in chapter 2 again. But all of the wealth and pleasures of this earth are not enough to make a person happy. There is a temporary happiness. It's, it's a fleeting happiness. There's a moment of happiness. It's kind of like going back to the roller coaster we talked about a minute ago. Right? Do you know when the happiest moment is on a roller coaster? The moment right before you take off. Right? That is the happiest moment on a roller coaster. Now, I've seen people get off the roller coaster who are saying, man, that was great. 
let's do it again. But as they do that, I see them going like this. Man, that was great. That was awesome. Let's do it again. And then you write it with them two more times, and ooh, there's lunch on the floor. So the happiness, that's why John's never ridden a roller coaster. <laughs> He's no dummy. <laughs> He's got this one down. But the happiness is the thought of it, right? It's kind of like the happiness of the thought of mom just made chocolate chip cookies and mom went upstairs to check on something, right? And I should eat as many as I can before she gets back and she'll never know. Right? Now, first of all, kids, I have to let you in. There are secrets, things that mom knows. Right? And most four or five, six, and seven-year-olds are not quite as alert as they could be on doing this. They leave chocolate on their face or they leave chocolate in their teeth. You know, they don't know how to get past this real well. And I'm not going to teach you tonight. I'm not going to teach you how to get past it. Um, <laughs> when Cody was about six, I think he was probably five or six, and we made no-bake cookies one night, the kind that you do chocolate and oats and sugar and peanut butter and mix it all together. You have to lay it out so it'll harden. And I came back in like an hour later to put the cookies away, and all the cookies were like disintegrated. Like they were still all there, but they were very much smaller than they had been. Like, you know, they went from these normal blobs, and now they're all these tiny little circles. What happened to the cookies? I don't know. Yeah, we figured out pretty quickly what happened. But have you ever, this is just another weird question. Have you ever eaten too many chocolate chip cookies? Right? I mean, the thing that was going to make you incredibly happy. Now, you should definitely say yes, sir. Did you say yes, sir? <laughs> you eat too many of those things, and what happens? Tummy ache. Yeah, I remember when I was in fourth grade, um, we lived in Springfield, Missouri, and my dad was uh, considering a job in Oklahoma, and so he took me with him on a trip to Oklahoma to survey it, and man, it was the highlight of my life. Got to go. We stayed in the Holiday Inn. Oh, what a big deal. And there's a restaurant down in Oklahoma that we'd never heard of in Missouri at that time. It's called Brahms Ice Cream. B-R-A-U-M-S. Has anybody ever eaten at Brahms? It's a little taste of heaven. It is the best ice cream on the planet. I could eat a Brahms ice cream shake every night of my life. I literally could, until I got to about 270 pounds, and then I'd probably have to cut back. But we, we that night got to go to Brahms after church service or whatever, and he let me get a large shake. I was in fourth grade, and I probably weighed about 56, 57 pounds in fourth grade. I'm not exaggerating. I wrestled at 58 pounds in fifth grade. Jim's laughing. I'm not lying, Jim. It's really true. Um, but I ate that whole shake, and then I drank some water. And I remember about 11.30 that night, my world ended. I had the worst stomach ache of my life. It wouldn't go away. 
groaning and moaning. Oh, it was horrible. I still remember it to this day. And that thing that you thought was going to make you so happy ended up not lasting. In fact, sometimes it makes you just the opposite. Right? Sometimes that girl or that guy or that investment or that property or that thing that was your dream became your nightmare. And that's what happens under the sun. So Ecclesiastes 1, he's kind of getting us in, clued in, and saying, listen, it's going to pass away. It doesn't last. All right, now we get to verse 4. And in your notes we say this, Solomon discusses activities that continue indefinitely but produce no tangible result on the earth. So we see what it happens here in verses 5 and 6. One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. So this is talking about people. Then verse 5, we see that it talks about the sun. Verse 6, it talks about the wind. Verse 7, it talks about water. And so generations come and go just like the sun, wind, and water do. And, uh, you know, there are civilizations over in the Middle East that still are unearthed by archaeologists when they go in to put a new road in, or they're going through the desert, and it just looks like a desert, and all of a sudden they come upon, you know, a wooden spoon or something that got fossilized down there. And they figure out, well, there were people here. And they start to look at it and start to try to figure out the mystery of how, how that happened. Do you know, people pass away, generations pass away, and if you just let time continue to go, there's no evidence that you've even been there. Now, that's abrupt. I mean, that is abrupt. We have uh, pictures up, up at the cabin of um, the homestead that is where our cabin was um, back in uh, 1932. So not that long ago. But you know, those pictures are totally different than what it looks like now. They're totally different. And uh, you look at things and you say, boy, that's not even that far back. And uh, there are places across the world where, you know, people say, well, we've been here for hundreds of years. Or you go over to Italy and and, uh, 500, 600 years of history. (laughs) Yeah, just let it keep going. Just let it keep going. Wait another thousand years. Let's see how it goes. And uh, what Solomon is saying is, listen, if this is all there is, it's just going to keep repeating itself over and over again. The generations are going to come. The sun's going to come up. The sun's going to go back down. The wind is going to swirl. And then it's going to swirl the other way. The water is going to go into the river. And then it's going to go down the stream. And then it's going to go to the ocean. And then it's going to rain again. And so all of this logic being given to us. And he's discussing that there's no tangible result that takes place. And this is also true of, of so many efforts that we make. Um, I dare you sometime, I double dare you, to sit down and read the congressional record for the last year. 
You know what you'll find? There were a group of people who went to Washington, created millions of pages of vanity. No tangible result. And nothing. They got all these pages and they didn't come up with anything that was helpful to anyone. Because they all were in it for themselves, kind of. And vanity is saying, listen, if you don't get into life and figure out what it's really all about, then everything you do is a waste. It's a waste. It'll be gone. And most of what we do turns out to be a waste. And that's why the book of Ecclesiastes is so important as we follow it through. Now, I want to give you a statement in your notes at this this point that's invaluable. It's coming from this thought. If there's no God, there is absolutely no logical purpose for us to do anything with our time on earth. If we are just blobs of matter that are here by chance, we have no purpose under the sun. None. Absolutely none. Think about it. People who want to get on their soapbox sometimes and talk about what's right and what's wrong are the same people who tell us there's no God and so there's therefore no right and no wrong. Well, which way is it? Hold on. Hold. You know, you read in the newspaper every week now about uh, homosexual rights. Right? It's, it's a, it hits us upside the head again and again and again. And you'll actually hear people say that one of the worst things that you can do is to say that marriage is between a man and a woman because it hurts the feelings of homosexual people. Right? Now, I looked up in the English language. Do you know what worst is? Worst is the superlative form of bad. Do you know that? Worst is not a word that's defined by itself. It's the superlative definition of bad. Do you remember when you had to learn in school, good, and what was the next one, the comparative? Good, better, never let it rest. You remember that cheer from school? Good, better, best, never let it rest till your good becomes better and your better is best. Hey, all right? Now, I was never a cheerleader, as you can tell. That's as far as my dancing goes, right there. All right? So you got good, better, best. But then I get to keep you awake on Sunday night. It'd go the other way. Now, now, what was it for bad? Bad? Worse? Worst. Bad? Worse? Worst. So if somebody, they're just throwing this out there. If somebody said to you, that's the worst thing you could do. You know what that means? That person believes in good and bad. They believe in good and bad. Do you know that anybody who believes in good and bad cannot believe in atheistic evolution? It's impossible. Because atheistic evolution says we're here by accident, we're just matters of chance, and there is therefore no good and no bad. So, you kind of have to sit down and say, well, which way is it going to be? Are we going to go the we're here by chance route? 
or we're going to go the God route. And if we go the God route, God said there are some things that are right and wrong. And so we have to discern what those are. But it's so interesting to me, if there's no God, there's absolutely no logical purpose for us to do anything with our time on earth. And look at verse number 8. All things are full of labor. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. What it's saying is this is even difficult for us to explain. But it gives us an example. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Now I want you to go back to Genesis, and I'm going to kind of prove this to you a little bit, hopefully. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. All right, remember that Cain and Abel, and Cain killed Abel, and then Cain was punished, and then Cain got married. And uh, one of the great Bible questions is, where did Cain get his wife, right? Where did Adam get his belly button? Uh, there's all these hard questions. But, or did Adam even have a belly button? That's another big Bible question. But Cain got married, and he had a son named Enoch, not that Enoch, but another Enoch. And, and then he had more children. Now, look down here in Genesis chapter 4, and verse number 21. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such handle, the harp and the organ. So he's the first one who made musical instruments, Jubal. Right? Now, here's my question. And this kind of puts this all Ecclesiastes, what we're talking about, hopefully into perspective. After Jubal made some sort of organ, which is probably not a modern organ, and what was the other instrument that he made? A harp? A harp and an organ. Probably not even the harp and organ we're thinking of. Right? Here's my question. Why did anybody else after that invent another instrument? Think about it. Why did anybody else after that invent another instrument? Somebody want to tackle this one? Because they wanted more. Because the ear wasn't satisfied with just what it had. And now you can go down and hear a symphony play. Right? And that symphony is going to have hundreds of instruments. The people in the audience are going to sit out there, some of them with teenagers who are going to have headphones on listening to music during the symphony because the symphony does not satisfy them. Isn't that weird? Our ears are not satisfied with hearing. Our eyes are not satisfied. In the same chapter you have his, uh, his relative, Tubal-Cain, and a nice name there, Tubal-Cain, he made brass and iron. But you know, brass and iron weren't good enough. Now we have plastic. Somebody said, this isn't good enough. We can't carry those iron grocery bags anymore. And we got to go with just paper stuff. And then they said paper or plastic. And, you know, it's 
we've continued to evolve. Why? Because the ear and the eye said it's not good enough. It could be better. Have you ever had an argument with a spouse or a brother or sister or a co-worker or your boss where one of you said, it looks good to me, and the other one said, it's not good enough. And you said to the other person, well, what about it's not good enough? I don't know. It's just not good enough. Right? Now, some of you who are smiling, you've obviously been in my office with my staff because that's a conversation we have quite regularly. I don't know what I don't like about it. It's just not good enough. Can't put my finger on it, but it's just not good enough. Why? Because we naturally, as human beings, are looking for better. Doesn't it make you appreciate so much Genesis 1, where God created the heavens and the earth, and on the first day, He made night and day, and He saw that it was good. And the second day, He made sky and clouds, and He saw, boy, that's good. And the third day, he made land and plants. And the fourth day, he made sun, moon, and stars. And then he made birds and fish. And then he made man and animals. And at the end of it, it was very good. And guess how many times God created again? Never. He rested. It was good enough. Now, here's the difference between what this is explaining, vanity, and heartfelt, authentic Christianity. If Jesus is what you're living for, he's good enough. I have not seen, neither hath ear heard, neither hath entered in the heart of man the things God has prepared for them who love him. It is a big difference. But so many times we get onto the vanity trail. And we say, boy, if I could only hear this, if I could only see that, If I could only go there, if I could only experience that, that would be the thing that I'd want to do, right? And if we talked to you tonight, everybody in here would probably say, there's a place I want to go. Um, Brent and Sylvia have been to Israel. I'd love to go to Israel. I'd love to walk through the garden and, you know, sit at the garden tomb and think for a while. I'd love to go to that place. There's always places we want to go, things we want to make. Levels we want to rise to. We all have that. But that's under the vanity system. The Jesus system is, he's enough. He's all I need. What did Andrew just sing? How I need you. Lord, I need you. You're all I need. So keep in mind as we go through this, we're fighting the vanity system versus the Christian system. The lifestyle. All right, next thing. Verse number 9. We're back in Ecclesiastes. We'll leave Tubal-Cain alone. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Now look at verse number 9. Some people don't believe this to be true. It's because they don't know history. We'll discover that in a minute. Verse number 9. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. There's not. Now, we find different ways to implement things or track things or do things or classify things, different words for things that have already been around. But the pursuits, desires, and complaints, this is in your notes, the pursuits, desires, and complaints 
of the human race are the same today as they were thousands of years ago. I think I missed one in your notes. Let me give it to you. Men are always seeking different things. When they have them, then they want different ones. All right, so this is just kind of the vanity trail. I'm going to seek this, seek this, seek this, and then I got it. Oh, I need to seek something else. Yeah, that's how we are. We're that way with cars. We're that way with projects. We're that way with our jobs. That's just the vanity trail. But the way that we pursue life, it's the same as it's been for thousands of years. Now, if you read certain documentaries or, or look at documentaries or read certain books, they'll talk to you about the explosion of information that's taken place in the 20th and 21st century. Uh, you could even go back and you could kind of track human progression for thousands of years and then all of a sudden we hit the Industrial Revolution and it starts to go up a little bit and then the Wright brothers pop on the scene in 1903 and boy, it really starts to go. And then we got, you know, spacecraft and landing on the moon and, and the human progress just goes up drastically. But landing on the moon, you know, it's the same idea as discovering the new world, right? And the explorers in the 1400s had the same idea of exploration as people did in the 1950s and 60s. That idea has been around. There's no new idea under the sun. You know, there's no new emotion that's ever been invented. The emotions that we have today are the same emotions that God made in the first human beings. There's no new idea under the sun. And so Solomon asked this question in verse number 10. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time which was before us. Now it may be new to us, but the idea is not new. And and so trying to get through this, wrap your head around this. In your notes, no new source of happiness can ever be invented. As long as human lusts remain the same. Okay, so the way we tick has been identified by God. There are three things that make us tick. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's what makes human beings in their carnal flesh tick. And until you come up with some new lusts, you're going to have the same human beings. There's not a, a thing under the sun that can make us happy because of the way that our lusts, our desires come about. One of the great delusions, this is also in your notes, one of the great delusions that people subconsciously embrace is that history started with them, right? Especially 21st century people. Um, History started with them. And all you have to do is turn on the news. This could be the worst storm that's ever hit the Northeast. And you look back, they had a storm worse than that 80 years ago, right? There are people who wrote, uh, I read a book about, uh, you guys ever read this? book. It became a Disney movie, I think. Uh, it's called The Race Around the World or something. And there was an automobile race that started in New York City, and it was going to go west, and they were going to go to Paris, France. No, really. 
And it started in 1906. And uh, I remember they got to Indiana. There was a snowstorm. There was six feet in like two days. And the cars were totally covered up. This is over 100 years ago. And sometimes we, oh, there's never been a hurricane this bad. Well, in 1935, there was a Category 5 hurricane that went all the way up the East Coast and hit Rhode Island. And it wiped out Key West in the process. And wow, this is the worst it's ever been. And it's because we don't sometimes have any appreciation for history. There are a lot of people that think that history started with them, with their generation, with their time period. And so they don't have any appreciation for what anybody else has ever done. And if you want to know more about that, talk to your average. Now, hopefully these aren't average. These hopefully are good kids here. Talk to your average 16 or 17-year-old. You know what they think? They think the world started the day they were born. Right? That's why the world revolves around them. Because it started the day they were born. Yeah, Stefan, this makes sense to me. <laughs> I'm digging this. Yeah, what year? 1995 the world started? 94? 1994 the world started. When it started, Stefan was born. But it's because sometimes we don't have the appreciation for history that we should. Um, it, it's been said a thousand ways. Those who don't study history are destined to repeat it. Here's the problem. They won't know they've repeated it. And so they'll think, I'm the first person this has ever happened to. And in doing so, they will prove Ecclesiastes 1 to be true. Because they'll be saying, this is new. This has never happened to anybody. But if they knew history, you know what they'd know? It's happened before. It's actually happened quite a few times. And sometimes we, man, this is the worst it's ever been. Um, Andrew at summer went uh, to Arkansas and at Tennessee for Christmas and came back with this monstrous story. And sometimes you've got to have Andrew tell it to you. Um, the airline, first of all, didn't get them on their flight right from Denver to Little Rock, which is a horrible flight anyway, tiny little plane. And I said, we don't have seats. And then a guy walked up and got a seat right after the lady said that. And so they closed the door with Andrew not on the plane. And then Andrew ran down the tarmac and jumped on the plane. No, he, he somehow got on the plane. They get to Little Rock at midnight. Their bags are not there. Okay? Um, and so the airline said, we're going to find your bags. We're going to get them to you. Well, Christmas Eve... Three in the afternoon, a guy calls and says, yeah, I got your bags for you. Some old boy from, ten, or from Mississippi. Andrew couldn't even understand him on the phone, which says a lot because he's, you know, a southern boy too. And, um, and so the guy on the way to, to meet him to get the bags has a car wreck, totals his car, and takes Andrew and Summer's suitcases with him from his totaled car, gets in a vehicle with three teenagers who are smoking marijuana. Okay? And kids, if you need someone to explain that, I'm sure your parents will do that later. So, um, so Andrew finally hooks up with him and is talking to him on the phone. And at what time do you actually get your bags Christmas Eve? Almost midnight at night. He ran out of gas. He had a guy pull a gun on him. 
It is, he should write a book about it, ser- seriously. But, you know, the tendency sometimes is to think, bear with me, you know, he would never think this, but some people would think, this is the worst story ever. Nobody's ever had anything happen worse than this. Really? Well, why don't you go back, like, to the 1860s and uh, check out how they got things moved around for a while with the Pony Express and the trains that got stuck on the tracks because the blizzards blew in. And it was 35 or 40 below, and they had to burn parts of the train to stay alive. I'm (laughs) making him feel horrible right now. I can't believe I complained about this. Now, his story is actually so good, we had him tell it to our whole life group. It's, it's, it's that good. It's really funny. But sometimes with history, that's, that's how we are. Like, this is the worst that this has ever been. Now, can I tell you one thing that God has, has shared with us that we can know, and it's, it agrees with the second law of thermodynamics. Everything's running down in the last days, perilous times shall come. You know why? Because things are getting worse. Men shall wax worse and worse. Deceivers will wax worse and worse. Skeptics and scorners will wax worse and worse. And we can know that to be true. But they've been around for a while. And if Paul was writing about them in the first century, it's not a new idea. It's not a new thought. And so all of that to encourage you to study history. Study history. Here's the last one, verse number 11. There's no remembrance of former things. That's people who don't study history. Neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Here's the thought I want to leave you with. How many of the people from Solomon's day were thought to be great and extraordinary? I'm guessing there's quite a few of them. Solomon had a massive palace. Read, read in 1 Kings 10 sometime when the queen of Sheba came. He, had a, he even had a greyhound. <laughs> Who had greyhounds back then? Solomon did. He, he had all kinds. He had peacocks. I did a wedding last summer. They had peacocks running around in the yard as I'm doing the wedding. Surreal. But it happened to Solomon first. History. <laughs> I'm taking this. Taking this all over the place. But Solomon had people in his court that we have no idea what their names were. We don't even know who they were. We know nothing about them. This verse came true. We, the last blank, now no one remembers them. And the thing is, we could, we could look at this and say, boy, that's bad news. Everything I've been doing in my whole life is not going to be worth anything. That's if you live on Vanity Road. That's if you live on Vanity Road. What we're going to see throughout the book as, as he paints these pictures for us, and they're pretty uh, illustrative. I mean, they're pretty open and honest. He talks about his life in a remarkable way. We're going to see that there's a different road than Vanity Road. And uh, that's the conclusion of the whole matter at the end of the book. And so stick around for it. We'll get there. Yeah, great to see you out tonight. Let's stand We'll be dismissed in a closing word of prayer. And then we'll all go home and have a huge bowl of post-grape nuts. Right? Yeah? Grape nuts, cookies, 
Chocolate chip cookies. There we go. That's a good one. All right. Or, hey, if I had Brahms ice cream. See, here would be the temptation. If I had Brahms ice cream, it would almost be worth it to have a stomachache every night. That's how good it is. It's incredible. And uh, it, it, am I telling the truth? My wife's shaking her head. Brahms ice cream. Whew. Man, we need to get one of those around here. Get, get one up here. Hey, Corey, when you're in Dallas, go to Brahms ice cream. And yeah, get a milkshake. And if you want, bring one home for me. <laughs> I like the chocolate chip cookie, though. It's my favorite. They probably have some dry ice. Down. <laughs> no, I'm messing with you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And thank you for how plain it is. Thank you that our church family could get together like this on a Sunday night. And just gather around your word. Gather around your truth. We pray that you'd help us to live our lives with Jesus Christ being all that we need. That we'd be satisfied in you and not go after our flesh, which certainly will be tempted to live for vanity. Guide us now through this week. Pray that you'd be with uh, some of the service groups as they meet tonight. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.